again, I just really enjoy seeing people fellowship with one another. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's a mark of a true Christian church and true Christian community of which we are speaking about actually today. We are speaking about a passage of scripture that's probably uh, familiar with most Christians, but misunderstood also by most Christians. Uh, it is found in Galatians chapter 5, but I will be starting, it's actually entitled Community Life. Ah, there it is, Community Life. Community Life. Do you know you're part of a community? Uh, I heard three voices, okay. Um, that's We're getting better, we're warming up over here. But before we go to chapter 5, let's read chapter 3 first. I'm going to read a couple of verses out of chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Uh, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by human flesh? Chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Let's go to verse 13, and we'll read all the way to chapter 6, verse 3. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you may not be consumed by one another. But I, Paul, say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger and rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. As I warned you, I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him the spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear with one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word, like always, God. We thank you that the word lives in us, that the word gives us life. We're born again by the incorruptible living word and seed of God. We thank you, God, that you called us out of darkness and into the light 
by hearing by faith, Father God. We thank you for the gift of repentance. We thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the Redeemer. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for illuminating our minds. We thank you for opening up the Scriptures to us, Father God. We thank you that as we gather today, you'll meet us, all of us, where we need to be needed most. I pray, O oh God, that you breathe upon the text. I pray that you speak to us through the sermon, Father God. Bring us closer, not just to one another and you, or I should say, not just closer to you, Father, but as we're led by the Spirit, let us draw closer to one another, for this is what Paul is teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as we go through this series on Galatians, we've been here for a while, and as a pastor, I get to this Chat this part in uh, the book of Galatians and the truth I just want to camp out here because and I'm going to I have the privilege to do that I already read this text the last time I preached and I'll probably read it two or three more times because it says everything that's in my heart I will speak to you today as a pastor I'll speak to you as a teacher and maybe a preacher but I'm speaking to you really as a spiritual father I said it very strongly, because that's what Paul is doing here. I want you to know that. I want you to listen as a child of God. I want you to listen today that the Holy Spirit is teaching each and every one of us, specifically. If you are a Christian, no matter where you are in your life, right this second, this sermon has to do with your spiritual life. Now, much has been written on verses 16 and 17 about walking in the Spirit and not gratifying the desires of the flesh. A lot of it good, unfortunately, a lot of it bad. Uh, some people just think that there's some kind of inner turmoil that's going on and that there's this personal conflict, this dark night of the soul and everybody's wrestling with some kind of demon in the middle of the night and because the flesh and the spirit are warring with each other and we personalize it and we internalize it and we torment ourselves with it and that's not what Paul say. Though there is personal application, yes, and we'll speak a little bit about that today, probably more the next time we go through the text, but I'm going to speak about what Paul is saying here. This, he's talking to a corporate people. He's talking to a community. And it's very important for us to understand that because Paul is talking about the kingdom of God. And do you know where the kingdom of God is represented today? In the church, in us. That's the kingdom of God. It's not found in the Constitution, though I do like the Constitution. It's found in the Word of God. It's found in our hearts. It's found in the Holy Spirit. It's found in our relationship with Jesus. This is where the church is. And this is what Paul is teaching on. He's not teaching on a personal conflict. Yes, there are many conflicts in our Christian life. We'll always have conflicts, whether I'm 14 years old or I'm 84 years old. As long as I'm living in this world and I'm still in this flesh, there will be conflicts against the sin nature. But for some reason, people have read things into this, and I don't want to get, jump ahead of my notes over here. I really want to stay on target the best I can. I'll be preaching from the heart. My pages, are, my notes are probably about two pages. Oh, there's nothing here. I say that only because this lives in me. It lives in me. And I said this the last time I preached out of this text. It lives in me. 
It means everything to me. And that's where Paul is coming from. I want you to know that. He's speaking now as a pastor. He's already spoken as a theologian. In this text, he's really speaking as a teacher, and I'll show you that as we go along. There is no inner turmoil going on here in the scripture that we have before us. He's talking about a corporate tension. He's talking about corporate unity. He's talking about corporate uh, uh, peace and a corporate joy and a corporate caring for one another and a corporate concern. He's talking about a community of faith that for many people today, 21st century, is so far removed that if, if you don't understand the culture 2,000 years ago, and I want to school you today on culture 2,000 years ago, you will miss what's really going on in this text. And like I said, there is personal application because there is a tension within us to live the Christian life. And I understand that. Please, I'm a Christian. I'm a man. I, you know, I understand what it's like. But I want to stick to what Paul is actually saying. Before we get to the point... I will address some problems first, and it's important. Again, as I said many times, we tend to personalize certain scriptures. These verses have been personalized over the years. I will say, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And many times, our 21st century Western sinful minds tend to read our own sins and our own temptations and our own failures into the text. Surely, isn't that the struggle Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 7? The things I want to do, I don't do? Well, most people are reading that wrong too. And it's easy to jump there. But... It seems that that's what Paul is saying here, but he's not saying that here. He's not saying about the individual struggle against the flesh. So we've got to be careful to read that into it. The personal application does apply. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 10, 8, verses uh, uh, 10 and 11. He says, By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Individually, we do it. And we'll speak about that when we get into this text a little more personal application. Today I'm keeping it to the corporate dimension. Think corporately. Think a church. Let me explain the problem first. But before I explain the problem of why Paul is acting and teaching the way he is, I've got to give you the problem before the problem. And you want to know what the problem before the problem is? We, don't have a, we have a me mentality, not an us mentality. And what Paul is addressing here is a church, a Christian church. But our 21st century Western minds, we think everything with radical individualism. I ask you today, did you come to church? It's a trick question, be careful how you answer. Did you come to church today? Hopefully you're saying, Brian, we are the church. We don't come to church. Of course we come to worship. But we're 24-7 church people. We're the temple of the living God. We always represent God. We're always in worship. For Jesus says you won't worship on the mountain or in the temple. A time is coming when you will worship God in spirit and what? 24-7, no matter where you are, when you're born of the Spirit. God has a way of always reflecting our mind and our heart to the things of God, no matter how hard life can be. 
Life is always worship. Sometimes I'm singing, sometimes I'm repenting. It's both worship. Did you know that repenting is worship? Do you know when you're there saying, God, be merciful to me, what a wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's some of the sweetest worship God has ever heard. Because it's the Holy Spirit producing that cry in you. Repentance is a gift. And then believing in the blood of Christ to cleanse the dirtiest stains is worship to God. But we have this sort of like, I'll work all week. I compartmentalize my whole life. I'm juggling my hobbies. I'm juggling work. I'm juggling the family. I'm juggling friends. I'm juggling social calendar. I'm juggling a little ministry. I'm juggling. And then I come I love you guys. You're following along. But no. That's why we read into this text our own personal failures. We're the church all the time, 24-7. We got to think with that mentality. And why that's a problem is because we don't like... To be too involved because it costs something. Understand something. To be a Christian. When God calls us to be a Christian, He gives us gifts. He gives us talents. And we're not to bury the talents. We're to come together corporately and to give of ourselves, our time, our energies, our monies, whatever it is to advance the kingdom of God. That does not mean God calls all of us to a 24-7 ministry. I'm called into the pulpit. My, my time is spent in prayer and the study of the Word and John. I'm called to do that. I, I enjoy that. I love it. I love counseling. I love witnessing. I love evangelizing. I love preaching. I love teaching. I love being one-on-one -on -one with God's people. I love talking to people that don't know Christ about Christ. I love all that. It comes, it comes easy to me. I enjoy it, even though it's challenging at times. So one of the challenges to understand in the text, within its context, is our mindset. Again, one of the challenges to understand in the text we just read, within its context, is our mindset, which is more we think individually than we do think in community. And I'll explain that as we go along. Let me explain the social problem that's taking place here. You're aware, if you've been following as we've gone along, that this is a church that Paul has birthed. He's the father of the church. It's not even actually a church. It's a geographical location. Galatia is southern Turkey as we know it today. And there was four churches birthed by Paul on a, his first missionary journey. And he has some news that the church came across some bad teachers, some false teachers snuck in, and you know the rest, and they're teaching circumcision, they're trying to get people to go become more Jewish again. And he's writing to this church because the church is in a turmoil, because it embraced some false teaching. And let me explain what's going on here. It's like, the church is probably no bigger than what we have here today, maybe about 40 people, 35, 40 people around there. Some were Jews, some were pagans converted to Christianity. Jews might have been on one side. The pagan Christians might have been on the other side. Those who came out of paganism. 
And what happened over here is that when you got saved 2,000 years ago, please don't miss this. If you were a Jew and you got saved and you were water baptized as a Christian, you had nowhere to go. You were just cut off of the whole Jewish community that you were part of your whole ancestry. All your traditions were gone. They wouldn't give you bread if you were starving to death. They wouldn't give you a drink of water if you were dying of thirst. You were cut off. And in Orthodox Judaism today, if someone is converted to Christianity, they actually have a wake for that person. They count them as an apostate, as dead. For the pagan was no better. For a pagan to leave their paganism behind was just as severe. But you might not understand that. What you were saying, you were saying to the family, because every family had its own little deity. That's paganism. Then there was the community, town paganism. The pound deities. Then there was a whole pagan pantheon of gods that you worshipped. They were truly confused. And when you stepped out of paganism and you embraced one Lord, Christ, you were cutting yourself off from all your pagan family. They disowned you. Unless you recanted on your Christian faith. Don't miss this. Now, in pagan culture, you become a Christian. Pagan society was so caught up in idolatry that economics and their social life was mixed up with idolatry. Once you left that and became a Christian, you couldn't do commerce anymore. No one would barter with you no more. You are now a follower of Christ. Your income just got not just cut in half, it, it, it probably was taken away. Because what you were doing now, you were telling your family, and you were telling your neighbors, and you were telling your countrymen, there's only one God, and His name is Jesus Christ. Nobody would do business with you. Don't miss this. Nobody would socialize with you. So when I read in chapter 5 that you are a new, you know, it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision, it's about being a new creation. It's about faith expressing itself through love. Understand something. This is where the importance of community comes in. The Jew would say, well, where do I go now? My family doesn't accept me no more. The pagan would say, well, where do I go now? They don't accept me no more. Paul would say, you're the church. You're a new creation. You're a new identity. You're a new entity now. You love one another. You care for one another. You nurture one another. Be led by the Spirit and nurture one another. It's not about the Lord. It's about not no law. Don't miss this. These people were saved. And they had nowhere to go. For us today, we get saved. We're still mingling. We're still going. We're still doing our commerce. No one's starving to death. But 2,000 years ago, you got saved. You were cut off from your economics. You were cut off from industry. You were cut off socially. You were cut off domestically. The church was all you had. It's all you had. It was Christians encouraging Christians. Christians meeting other Christians' needs. 
Christians, as Paul says here in chapter 6, have someone else's concerns as your own. Or another person's burden. Bear another person's burden. The burdens were heavy 2,000 years ago. We're so busy fending for ourselves, and all we got church time is we set a time, some time if it's convenient for us to go to church on Sunday. But understand something church is not about going to a place, church is about caring, concern, love, compassion, and joy for one another 24 7 throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the rest of your Christian life. People are busy going to church. That is part of the problem today. In speaking with the elders, and we're speaking about talking, and we will talk about this, and I'll lead segue into it, just a little footnote, about church membership. Church membership is extraordinarily important. And I'm finding it more and more and more. And we don't want to be too, we've always been a little informal about it. But as time goes on, I realize, and the deeper I get into the understanding of Scripture, church membership is extremely important. What we're saying is that we believe there's a certain duty that, as ministers, we need to do, and prayerfully we do that well, and faithfully, more important. But as members of a church, there's also an important on your part. Not just to come to church, but to, in your heart, offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice that other people can feast off of, if necessary. Is your life open that much to God to say, I would be a member of a church. I would be a 24-7 member of a church. I'm part of a community. I'm ready to give my life, my time, and my talents. For the community, why? There's nowhere else to go anymore. But because of our 21st century mindset, because we are Americanized, because of our Western culture, because of our radical individualism, we don't think that way. We think, let me just make sure I get there on time, I do my time, because that's what a lot of people feel like church is. They come on time, they get there right before, and then they do their time, and then they go back into society. A lot of dynamics have changed, there's no question about it. What I'm addressing for all Christians, are we willing to pick up our cross and follow Christ, be led by the Spirit, and allow God to bring us into a community where we say in our hearts, God, whatever you want from me, I'm in. You know the gifts, you know the talents you have given me. That was the social problem. How many people have ever heard that before? Okay. I can go on and on with this. I'll leave it at that. I wanted to make my point before we get into the text. Now you know what Paul's talking about when he starts getting into the specific problem. Now that you have Jews coming out of Judaism... And there's no more Torah, there's no more law, there's no more rules, there's no more regulations. You've got people coming out of paganism. They're coming to one local body to worship Jehovah God. Their paganism is gone. Their rules and regulations, the pagans had more rules and regulations than the Jews had. Understand that. There was more superstition coming out of here than there was over here. At least they had the truth. The pagans were coming out of a world of darkness and superstition. And now they're coming into one body with no laws. 
no rules, no regulations, how are they going to get along? That's why they fell easily for the false teaching to be circumcised. And because Judaism looked religious. Christianity really is a grassroots movement. We don't. We shouldn't look overly religious. We should look like ordinary people. The pastor should look like an ordinary guy. We should just fit into society. Each church is its own governing body. We can be affiliated with other churches, but each church runs itself. Now you take all these people who are used to live by rules and regulations, and now Paul has just told them for four chapters that you don't need no more laws. You need no rules, you need no regulations. Even though the rest of the people around you, society doesn't want you no more, your family doesn't want you no more, you fend, you tend to each other, you care for each other, you're concerned for each other, you're a new entity, you're called the kingdom of God on earth. You're the church, those called out of the darkness. There's a question though, how do we deal with our inattentions? How do we deal with these passions? Paul says, be led by the Spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean? What do I close my eyes real tight? Start to burn up. Ooh. That felt good. This is what he's saying. Church, be led by the Spirit. Continue to preach Christ crucified. Continue to preach Christ who died for your passions. Listen to verse 24. All those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We don't need no laws. We don't need no rules. We don't need no regulations. All we need is Jesus Christ preached crucified constantly. Constantly. The cross. Constantly. No laws. No rules. No regulations. A deeper understanding of the love of God. The depth and the width and the height and the depth of the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus at the cross. That's all that's needed. I was insulted twice as a minister. Well, it wasn't really an insult. At first I took it as an insult, until I thought about it. It was God confirming my loyalty to Him. One said I preached too much out of Paul, which I might be top heavy on Paul, but Paul says be imitator of me as I am an imitator of Christ, so I'm doing pretty good, I'm in good company. I don't mind that. And another one said that with too much we preach the cross and salvation, too much. Now, if I die with those two qualifications, I'll be a very happy man. <laughs> to die being said, you know, you're obsessed with Christ and the cross. I think now I know what it means to be crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who liveth in me. In the life I live, I don't live by the Lord anymore, but I live by faith in the Son of God who died and rose again on my behalf. He loved me. That's what Paul is saying. We don't live by rules and regulations. I don't need the Torah. I don't need the commandments. I don't need pagan superstition. Just continue to teach me Jesus Christ and Him crucified.
crucified and how to apply that to my life in every dynamic interpersonal relationship of my life and I'll be led by the Spirit. That's all. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's saying here. No more law. It is over. Continue to explain Christ to me. Continue to explain how the Son of God came to die for me. Can you possibly be more obsessed with anything in the world? Would you want to be more obsessed with anything in the world than Christ dying for you? Did you not repent of any sins this week? Did you not feel the love and the joy and the comfort and the presence of God? It's because Christ died for you. How could you ever be obsessed with the cross? Oh, God. And if I die being an imitator of Paul as he imitated Christ, I think we'd be in good company, amen? Amen. That's how you keep great harmony. Don't lose the perspective of the great diversity. The church, pagans, most of them poor, remember that. 90% of the Mediterranean world 2,000 years ago were under the poverty level, they were poor. You had the Jewish contingency. You had people from every diverse socio-economic, religious, educational background coming together to live with one another. How long do you think that would take before it breaks down? Think about that social experiment. Unless you were led by the Spirit, a crowd like that would never make it. They would bite and devour one another. If they were going to try to live by rules and regulations, they would end up biting and devouring. We all know what it means to bite and devour. We all know what it means to be in, 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 in long, how can I say, uh, prolonged periods of time in small communities. Maybe it's a workplace. Maybe it's whatever might the bowling league, the knitting league. After a while, you get on each other's nerves. After a while, everybody's idiosyncrasies start to drive us mad. Am I right? So what's the equilibrium? What brings us back? If there's no cross, then I have to follow rules and regulations. Please don't miss this. Because this is how we live. You ready? How does a people from such a diverse background, and if you're not familiar with the New Testament, Jews didn't like the pagans, and guess what? And now they find themselves in the same room, worshiping the same God. This is how it works. By consistently preaching the cross, it humbles the pride of every human being. So that no man thinks he's better than someone else and deceives himself. Are you with me? Preach Christ and you won't be self-deceived. Because when you put yourself against the standard of Christ, you realize you're nothing. And that means we all got something in common. But if you give me rules and regulations, if I start doing a little better than you, I'm feeling a little superior. I went to church four weeks in a row. I'm doing pretty good. Reading my Bible. I'm praying. I handed out ten tracts a day. 
I'm doing a little better than my brother over here who's still a drunken and caught in a trespass. Who needs to be restored, not given the law. Don't miss it. I'm preaching contextually. You've got to be familiar with the text. You've got to follow me. Keep on reading it. That's what Paul is talking about. Be led by the Spirit. That even if someone's caught in a trespass, you won't rip them apart. But you'll gently restore a person back to spiritual health. It's the mystery of the gospel. What could take an angry, inner, aggressive man like me who is filled with prejudice and pride to really genuinely embrace a people from every culture and ethnicity and truly say, I care for people. Only the cross. The law of Moses could have never done that. Religion couldn't do it for me. Catholicism couldn't do it for me. Uh, Twelve steps couldn't do it for me. Medication couldn't do it for me. Nothing could do it for me. Only Christ and understanding what he's done for me has crushed the pride inside my heart and continues to do it. That's why we don't have to bite and devour each other. Listen, part two. The point, as I said, in, Paul says in verse three, chapter three, he says, you began in the spirit. You were running well in verse 7. Who stopped you? Who hindered you? You guys were loving one another. Remember when you received forgiveness. Remember when you received joy. Remember when you were first born again. Remember how sweet it was to go to church. Remember how sweet it was just to sing hymns. Remember how sweet it was just to say you love somebody. Remember how sweet it was just to show up. Remember how sweet it was to stay late. Remember how sweet it was to give. To give of yourself. To give of yourself emotionally and mentally and financially. To give your time and energy and resources. Remember how you were doing so well. Who hindered you? And that's what false teaching will always do. You get your eyes off the cross because false preachers never preach the cross. They preach everything else but the cross. And now your eyes are off the cross and you'll end up biting and devouring one another because you can't be humbled by anything but the cross. This is what I believe Paul is going on in his heart. You were running well. It means good. It means you were running accurate in the Greek. Who hindered you? As a pastor, I ask the question. I'll speak to you as just Brian Martin. Why are so many Christians a no-show? In the kingdom of God. Why is there such a lukewarm, indifferent attitude towards Christ and his people? Why do we basically just barely make it through our Christian life? Where it feels like the flesh is always fighting against the spirit. Why? Is it because we haven't surrendered fully to the community of faith? Is it not because I for once and said I'm a member and I will spend my life serving Christ in this place until he calls me home or until he brings me to another place? I will serve Christ in this place. Surely there must be a tension that lives inside a believer 
with such an attitude towards God and His church. I'll close with this. I wish I had an answer for that. I don't. The Bible gives us answers. The Bible says if you don't fellowship with each other on a continuous basis, you'll grow cold. You won't know how to stir each other to love and good works. The Bible says you can lose your first love. You can lose your zeal. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, actually, to be zealous in the spirit. He told Timothy to stir yourself up in the spirit. He told the Ephesians, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the spirit, submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. The Bible gives us a lot of reasons why Christians are no-shows. Why some Christians don't seem to care. There's this indifference to other people. There's this sort of looking at the clock sort of mentality of our Christian church life. How long is the sermon? How long is this? When do I have to show? What's going on? You know, I, I can barely get my foot in the door until I can run out the other side. And, but no, that's not what we're called for. It's a 24-7. We're in this together because we're not of the world anymore. Though we live in the world, we're not of it. We need to serve and minister to one another and build each other up in the most holy faith all the time throughout the week. We need to have friendships. We need to solidify them. We need to hang out with each other. We need to encourage one another as we see the day approaching. That's Christianity. But we've made it convenient, Americanized Christianity. Christianity by the clock. Oh, God. I hope it's speaking to all of us, including me. There's only one application to this whole text. I would like everybody's attention. Please give it to God. And the application is actually in a question. How can I tell if I'm walking in the Spirit? The question that helps to answer that is how is your community life? How's your life in the local church? How deep are your roots in the local church? How's your attitude towards other believers? Are we biting and devouring each other in our heart? We're all prone to it. And we will do it unless I'm constantly putting myself at the foot of the cross. It's the only thing that humbles me. I've been working on this for a long time. I've been trying to... Please stay with me. Stay with me. I've had this truth that living in me, this spiritual truth living in me for a long time. I just didn't have the words to express it. I didn't have the words to express it. And then Terry came home and told me that her and her sister Kim were listening to the series on anger. And she said this one thing, and, and I said, that's it. Is what I've been trying. It's been elusive theology to me for many years. And they said why Christians can get angry, why we get angry, is because you have broken not God's law, but you've broken my law. You've broken my expectations. 
And when our personal expectations are broken, we get angry. And if we don't have self-control, we can begin to bite and devour one another. And that was it. I was like, God, that was, that was life. I had the theology, I just didn't have the words to express it. We walk and we live our lives with our self-expectations of what church is supposed to be. What everybody else is supposed to be. And when those expectations are broken, we get angry and we bite and we devour each other with our minds and with our hearts. But yes, we say hello brother and hello sister. But no, that's not being led by the Spirit. It's being led by the law. It's being led by the flesh. Because it's my expectations not being met. Not God's holy law, which is the law of love. I was so excited when I heard that. It's been many years since I got that excited over here in just a phrase. Because it really nails why the church sometimes looks like she's in shambles. How can I tell if I'm walking in the Spirit? How can I tell if I'm led by the Spirit? Is it because you haven't sinned anymore? Let me tell you something now. Let me give you a hint. You will sin until Christ takes you home. I'll tell you that right now. We'll talk about personal application and overcoming sin and being restored as chapter 6 verse 1 says. We'll talk about that at a later date. But understand this. To really understand if you're walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, how is your life in the community? Are you being rooted in a local church? Number one. Because if you're not, you're not even being, you can't even say I'm being led by the Spirit. Because the first place the Spirit leads is to the local church. To hear the preaching of the cross. So I can be humbled. So I can be led by the Spirit. Unless, now we'll go to phase two. Brian, I go to church. And I come pretty regularly. Okay, I ask you this. Is your heart committed to a local church? Because if not, you cannot be led by the Spirit of God. You'll be overcome by the flesh and every temptation out there. So I ask you, how is your community life? Do I go to church? Ask yourself. Can you ask yourself, do I go to church? Or am I a living healthy, dynamic part of the local church. Are my gifts and talents being used at the local church? Have I told the pastor? Have I told the pastoral staff? Have I told God? Here I am. Send me. How do you act? Between you and God, it has nothing to do with me. If you want to speak to me after the service, you can. There's another way. What would others think about me? How do others find me in the body of Christ? What would be a pastoral evaluation of me? Now, in big parentheses, I wrote, be careful. <laughs> Don't judge yourself by your feelings and your failures. Again, that's that 
deep Western philosophy we have. We, we're totally analyzing, we're psycho, uh, psychoanalyzing every failure. We love, we got this morbid interest into looking at our failures. And God's saying, no, don't look at the failure, look to the cross. Just continue to confess and ask for help. And listen, listen, this is how it works. You can struggle with sin and still be a healthy member in the body of Christ. You can be totally clean, but become one of the most self-righteous Christians that you're, 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 you're toxic to the local church. But you, you got everybody, you're holding everybody to your standard. Are you with me? Yeah. I'm probably told you I'm preaching fine. I had no notes here. So it's all from now. We judge ourselves by the fruit of the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying. Listen to this. Are you a joy to other people? When it says that the fruit of the Spirit is joy, do you think that means we dance around all the time? Like this? <laughs> I enjoy doing that. Of course there's joy. But Paul's saying, that, like, is your life a joy to other people? Do you make, your, do you make other people a joy? Are other people want to be around you? Are you a joy to others? Or he says, do you express a genuine love and concern for other people. And it's not a sentimental thing. Love here is not sentimental. It's just meeting other people's needs. So, it has nothing to do with feelings. Gone. Take the feelings, put them on a the shelf. Take the failures, put them on a the shelf. I can overcome certain things. I, I can have an intense turmoil with another person's character. Are you with me? Am I alone? Just with the character. It could rub me wrong. But I can still genuinely meet that person's need. That's walking in love. Are you patient with people? That get on your nerves? Are you kind and gentle? Are you good to people? Do you have peace with others? Are you self-controlled emotionally, mentally, and physically toward other people. That's how you judge if you're being led by the Spirit. Not if you didn't get drunk last night. Not if you didn't get angry in your heart. Nothing to do with it. Being led by the Spirit is, what's my relationship with everybody here? Do I have a real relationship? That's what Paul is saying. The war is gone, it's over. The, the eschatological kingdom has come. I mispronounced it. Please forgive me. The end time, the promise of God in the Old Testament has finally arrived. The kingdom of God is here. Yes. 